Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Beer weeks are back, and Tampa is where you should set your sights. I'm talking with Devin Kreps of Seventh Sun Brewing about what's happening in the Sunshine State, as well as a new seltzer initiative that highlights and addresses inequality. We'll get into it all in a moment, but first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com for original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brew to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do is supported by you. You can visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to help keep the content fresh. And a few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. If you'd like to learn more about advertising on the show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. And if you're a smoked beer fan, and of course you are, go check out This Week in Rauk Beer. Search for the Facebook group or follow on Instagram and Twitter at TWRaukBeer. Devin Kreps is the owner of Seven Sun Brewing. She has a degree in fermentation science from Oregon State University and gained experience at Anheuser-Busch's research pilot facility in St. Louis. She was also the production manager at Sweetwater Brewing during its expansion from 25,000 barrels to 60,000 barrels. In 2012, she opened the first Seventh Sun Brewery location in Dunedin, which features 10 taps and outdoor seating. That location, the brewery says, is now treated as a pilot facility, focusing on producing Cezannes, Belgian styles, Brett IPAs, hazy IPAs, and what they call fun lagers. The Tampa location, which opened up in 2017 in a former VFW roller skating rink, is a large production plant with a tasting room and an outdoor beer garden. More recently, Seventh Sun has created a pair of seltzers called Pink Tax and Blue Tax. They're identical recipes except for the color and the price. According to the brewery, the Pink Tax refers to the practice of charging higher prices for goods and services marketed to women. Razors, for example, can be up to 66% more expensive for women than for men, despite being the same product, the brewery notes. This practice is seen as a form of gender discrimination, and it disproportionately affects women and non-binary individuals. So in a switch, the blue tax seltzer is priced higher than the pink tax seltzer, and 100% of the additional cost, as well as proceeds from both of them, will be donated to the Pink Boot Society. Kreps in this interview tells me how all of this came about. We're also going to talk about Tampa Beer Week and the growing of a business. Here's our conversation. We're at that fun point in the year where people start thinking about Uh, travel. Um, People start thinking about events. They start thinking about festivals. Uh, I'm up here in Jersey where it is, uh, it's been warmer than usual, but it's still pretty terribly cold. So I start thinking about the, 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 the warm weather and there's always the nice respite that came with Tampa Bay beer week. And what, what is 23 looking like for for beer week having had a couple of years of weirdness and uncertainty yeah um it's changed quite a bit in all honesty uh not just from what we are doing but just generally you know um it's always started off with the florida brewers guild fest that's on the first saturday of march uh this year will be the fourth 
of March. And uh, then it used to be anchored at the end by Kunapu Day, basically. And then we yeah. ha- we had like a an event the day after that called Hunapu Hangover Day. I <laughs> spent I spent quite a few Sundays uh, hating myself. Yeah, <laughs> you and many many people, yeah. including myself, just yeah. like, oh wow, it's been a rough week. But you know, there like, weren't a lot of conversations we're... that happened at Hunapu Hangover. It was really just kind of you know everybody just kind of standing around, kind of grim, nursing. Um, it nursing defe- the pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just kind of defeated. And then there'd always be like three or four folks who would walk in who were just like trying to be the life of the party. Like they 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 were apparently impervious to the evils of alcohol and were just like, oh, I'm gonna go. just like shut the fuck up. Like just <laughs> calm down. I gotta I'm- get on a plane in 20 minutes. Just I need like a bloody Mary. Just stop it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's that's very true. That's very true. And uh, you know, that's that's kind of one of the things that's evolved a lot as well is, you know, back in the day, you could have an event uh, where you just put on a bunch of cool beers and that's sort of the event in itself. And I think we've seen, you know, just with so many breweries coming on the scene and so many different events and festivals, that's you kind of gotta think outside of the box a little bit more. And so uh, while we still, we still do it and, and everything, but it's, it's just a different event than it used to be. And we did skip, you know, uh, a couple of years there when everything was locked down. Um, so, you know, it's, it's changed for us. And then now they don't really do Hunapu day. Well, I don't want to speak for cigar city. I, you know, but I believe what they're doing is just like bottle release instead of having the big fest. And yeah, uh, that, that's my understanding as well. Yeah. So uh, then angry chair is doing dark embrace on that Saturday to kind of, you know, also not speaking for them, but I'm assuming kind of to become that anchor event as I think what they're going for. So, uh, so, you know, that has evolved uh, in terms of what we're doing has evolved as well. Um, it's about the beer, but it's also about what other fun things can you do. So we're having uh, uh, musicians out on the fourth after the fest in Dunedin, Stick and Diddy, they're going to be playing. And then um, I'm, my goal is to have a drag show on the Friday of Beer Week at my Tampa location, uh, just trying to herd all the cats and get everybody to commit to the dates. But uh, that's what I'm looking to do. And um, and then doing a after party uh, also in Tampa after dark embrace uh, looking to have some nerdcore rappers at, at our spot, which will be really cool. Um, one of them is called uh, his name is swell rel. Uh, we're still kind of working to book the other people, but uh, you know, if it's not done last minute, it's not done. Right. Right. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> that's beer week for me. That will never change. I feel like beer week always creeps up on me. I'm never ready for it and I'm scrambling to get it done. And it's like, I know this is going to come at me in a year. Why do I wait till the last minute? But it is always works out like that. So we're still going to have, uh, we're going to do hangover day this year. In the past, we've been doing it at both locations, but this year we're going to take it old school. We're just going to do it in Dunedin. We'll probably put some, you know, beers on tap in Tampa, but the focus is really going to be Dunedin. And we're also going to have some more barrel-aged sours uh, this year to kind of, you know, throw back to what we used to make a lot of. Uh, so so that's that's my setup. Hopefully it all comes through. 
now that I'm telling the world. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> um is there is there a cohesiveness among the Florida brewers these days? Like has the you all have had a strong guild for for a lot of years and and I know that there's been um good collaboration and sort of a good neighborliness but um when you start thinking about big events like beer week again that that brings everybody together um especially after years of pandemic uncertainty and you know um although I, I guess it didn't hit you all in Florida um uh, not the same way at least right. we didn't we don't have to you know, the winter is so hard up north because, you know, nobody wants to be outside when it's freezing cold out. We're yeah. very lucky in that we have outside as a year round option for sure. Yeah. But I, what's the general feeling that you're getting going into beer week among all of the brewers? Um, you know, it's kind of crazy. I feel like in a little bit uh, since COVID, we sort of lost touch a little bit, you know, and last year there was, there were beer week events. And so it was, it was really, I remember being at the FBG fest and just going, Oh my gosh, it's so great to see you. It's so great to see you. It's been way too long. And so it was, we were all just really happy to be back at it again. And I know, you know, industry folks, you know, we do, we've done tons of beer fests in our lives. If you've been in it for any length of time, and sometimes, quite frankly, you get a little burnt out doing them. And I think after the hiatus of of COVID, everybody was like so excited to be at a beer fest. It was really funny. So we were all just like, yes, yes, great to see you. So I think, uh, you know, with there being so many breweries now and then so many different things happening, it's really kind of hard to keep track of it all. And uh, so while there is always neighborliness and friendliness and, and all of that, uh, I sometimes have a hard time keeping track of everything that's going on as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. When Can you're talking, question? <laughs> I think so. When okay. you're talking about some of your events, right. When you're thinking about like a drag show, which is something that, um, actually came up at an end of the year podcast that I did last year, um, where people, you know, some folks are saying like, you know, we want to see more of this at, 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 at breweries. Um, has there been a greater chance to outreach to drinkers beyond you know, the middle-aged white dudes that were almost exclusively populating tap rooms for a long time or seemingly yeah. almost exclusive. Yeah. 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 No, that's exactly, you know, part of it is like, is trying to bring more people, a more eclectic and diverse group of people into craft beer and letting them know, like, it's not just for, you know, big bearded white guys it's like you know everybody everybody can love craft beer and um and so yeah I, and and plus too it's like you have so many beer events it gets redundant it, and so it, it's fun to do something different and we actually did host a drag show i think it was um in 2019 in september of 2019 and it was a hit it was so fun everybody had a blast and so i was like you know this will be a great thing to do for people who just kind of want to break from it being like about bottle releases and about, you know, festivals and stuff like, Hey, you're in town, come hit up this super fun thing. And then it also, yeah, brings a more diverse group of people into the craft beer world, which is great. You mentioned, uh, you know, 
I, I asked about the the you know the guild fest, but then also um, you know how Hunapu was sort of this anchor at the end, and now Angry Chair um, doing their the, their thing. Um, how important for beer weeks do you think it is to have those types of events? Like, is is, is it to draw people in from from the outside, or is there a good sense of local interest expectation? pride Um, that comes with yeah like uh so i i think it can only be beneficial really you know if there is some kind of big draw event like hunapu was before it pulls people from other countries it pulls people from across this country and so that's kind of what's fun about beer week. It's not, it is that we have all the locals come out and the locals love it too, but then we pull people from all over the world and it's really exciting to see that beer can do that. And so having a, a big anchor event, I think is a good thing because I do think it brings in a lot of people from out of town, whereas if it's just kind of, you know, a bunch of small events, they, they might not want to to come down for just that. So yeah, I mean, and it, it it'll happen organically, you know, if it's if it is the anchor event, if it's what people want, then it'll become that. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, when we first started making beer, uh, we made graffiti orange. That's one of our staples. It's a creamsicle wheat beer with vanilla bean and orange zest. And um, and we made it way back year one. Uh, not even really thinking that we'd make it regularly, but everybody was like, you have to make that. It's so good. It's so good. So we actually even did a contest to name it a Facebook contest and, and all that. And so, you know, a lot of the beer that we, that we ended up making long-term came from the demand. And I think that kind of same thing happens with, you know, fests and beer week and stuff. It's like, what do people, what are they looking for? And so if, the anchor event will become the anchor event because of the people who want to come to it, you know, from all over the place. That totally makes sense. Yeah. As you think back to year one, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're saying, you know, you might have some beers that you haven't had on in a while um, uh, for hangover day, but um, what did you want the brewery to be? And what is it, what, it, what has it evolved to become? That's a really good question. Um, it's something I think about a lot. And in part too, because the, the craft beer industry and world is, it's like on speed. <laughs> it's not like other businesses because everything evolves and changes so much more at a rapid pace with craft beer. Back when we opened, you know, people were just discovering of fooder and barrel aged sour beers like Cantillon. And I remember going into, I think it's called Greens when I lived in Atlanta, they had the best beer selection. Oh yeah, and it's a great would, store. Yeah, and you would see Cantillon on the shelves and nobody knew what it was. So I was like, cool, yeah, I'll get a Cantillon bottle for $15, of course. And then all of us- <laughs> Simpler times. Yes, and then all of a sudden, everybody started to figure out what that was. And so they cleared out and you could never get any anymore. And that was really one of the styles that was coveted and, you know, everybody looked for it. And that was something I really loved as well. So we would, we would make a lot of that kind of beer and people would line up for it. But that style, unfortunately, it's the, it's, 
it's not that thing anymore. It's really, it's evolved. You know, we, we got the hazy IPAs, we've got, uh, you know, the big, I call them big fat stouts, <laughs> the, the big, sweet, high alcohol stouts that taste like dessert, you know, that's, that's sort of been more of what people are going into. And then of course, now you have like seltzers on the scene. Um, and so many different things, it's really changed so much because back when, you know, we made this beer called Intergalactic and is all Galaxy hops. And for whatever reason, Galaxy just loves to make a beer cloudy. And so we're making this beer and going, oh my gosh, it looks like orange juice. It's all thick. It's, it's, we can't, we can't put this out there and people will buy it. They're going to think we're ridiculous. Like we could, we don't know what we're doing, you know? And so we really agonized over how do we clear this beer up a little bit, but still have the flavor. And then you know, boom, like a year later or however long it was there that you're trying to get the most cloudy, the most orange juice looking you can possibly do. So there's so many things that have just changed like that. And and the other thing too, is back in the day, it was like, if you didn't use all natural ingredients, real ingredients, like it better be the real fruit. It better be really chocolate. It better be, you know, shoot, we made a beer one time where we literally just shoved a whole cake into it. <laughs> it was, it was really good. <laughs> Um, Mike Lucasina, who uh, is one of the owners of Magnanimous, he used to work for Seventh Son and um, and he made this cake and then we put the cake in the beer and it was delicious. But I digress. Uh, so back <laughs> back in those days, there was no Amaretti. And if you and when Amaretti came out, it was like, oh, pff, I'm not going to use that. That's fake flavoring. Now nobody cares. It's like glitter. It's like make it blue, make it whatever do everything. And so that's kind of fun actually, because you don't have those limitations. Um, but I think the counter side to that is that we've lost a little bit of that love for the stuff that is super complex and challenging and rewarding because it doesn't always work out like a barrel aged beer or food or beer, you know, you're, you're kind of letting the mic microbiology do its thing. Yeah. And with a pretty informed decision. So, you know, you're usually going to end up with a great product, but who knows you might not. It, it's, it's all up to the, the microbes and the yeast that are in that to really deliver for you. And um, so it's painful. It's long, usually you got a barrel age for a year, sometimes two, sometimes three, you know, and then you have this thing that you've worked so hard on and then you're going to throw some fruit in it. And hopefully doesn't have that go sideways. Like one time we had these punchins of, uh, of sour beer and we put in all these cherries. We spent all this money on cherries, put the cherries in the cherries. Plus that beer were no bueno. Like it, it tasted terrible. So we were like, well, I guess we're dumping that whole thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I wish, I wish that there was more of those beers, you know, like green bench is, is kicking butt on making beers like that. Um, and we still do somewhat, and we still have some on the shelf right now with collaborations with Cigar City that we did. And uh, I, I love them and they taste great. Just they are not what people are searching for. But I will. I did notice, though, when I do take them to a fest and I'm pouring them for people, people are like, wow, what is this? This is really good. You know, I'm like, yeah, this is like what we did 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, so hopefully that'll kind of come back around. I, I'm hoping it will. Yeah. I, it, it is so it is so weird though right of people at fest versus what they're drinking in the tap room right because you're not getting a lot of folks who are showing up in the tap room asking for 
your fooder age stuff anymore. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's so weird. And then people at fests, like a lot of them don't even know what it is, you know, so they know what a sour beer is, but they know it as the, you know, Berliner style sour. They aren't necessarily the Florida vice. Is that still yeah, a thing? Florida vice. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've used it, not used it. I don't know. I can't decide <laughs> using it or not. And then at the same time, you know, I think people have kind of just transitioned to calling them sours also instead of using Berliner because that's what people identify and they know like the kind of the people who didn't know what a sour beer was five or 10 years ago when they're walking into seventh sun for the first time. And I'm explaining to them what it is we have on the board Berliner, Berliner Weiss. And so, you know, that's what we used to always call it. But then once more and more people started to figure out, Oh, this is a whole genre and we can have all these different fruited ones. They identify them by the name sour and not so much vice or Florida vice or Berliner vice. So, yeah. so I feel like we don't really use that term because we've just gone into calling them sours more than anything. Um, it was such a, yeah. When, when all of those started to crop up, it was a sort of a weird, a weird time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's still a weird time though. Um <laughs> So you're making seltzers now. And, yes. And I wonder if there is a correlation that you can see of some of those those fruity beers, you know, those 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 lacto-fermented, but um having those, you know, those big fruit flavors and, and some of those those very early ones in the Florida Vice where you know, it was all chuck full of zest or dragon fruit or things like that, um, that did have this refreshing nature to it if that helped give rise to seltzer's popularity? I mean, I think, I think that in the craft beer world, there's definitely, you know, there's similarities, there's correlations, like, you know, like untitled art. Like when I had one of their seltzers for the first time, I was like, you know, you could fool me into thinking this could be a Berliner Weiss, you know, it's got so much fruit in it. And it's even some of their NA stuff too. Yeah. 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 So it's like, there is definitely a correlation, but then when you get into like White Claw or Truly or something, it's it, it feels like it's in a different world that's really far from like a sour. And I think that you know things that are happening with that it it's related to caloric intake and it's also uh, gluten free. You know that's one of the things that I really love about being able to make seltzers is I always kind of agonized over you know, do we do a gluten-free beer? I know so many people that are gluten-free, but I don't really love making a gluten-free beer with like sorghum or whatever. It, pretty much every single one I've had, I've been like, well, this one is not terrible. You know, I still don't want to go buy it because it's yeah, not but as what good a as terrible a benchmark that is. Exactly. Exactly. So the, that was part of why I never wanted to make one was because I didn't even trust that I could pull it off. And it's not, in the wheelhouse of things I, I feel really comfortable understanding thoroughly, but this gives you that you can do a seltzer and it's gluten-free. And so boom, it's the, uh, the option is available. And on the upside too, you know, they're, they're very quick and dirty to make, you know, it's like, it's just like, boom, sugar, boil it, ferment it out, throw in your fruit, you're done, you know? Uh, so it offers a balance to, you know, some of the other beers that we make that are more complex, having this other product that is real quick and easy, you know? Is there artistry behind it or is it just 
Oh, there's as definitely clear, cut and dry as you just sort of, yeah. It's it is easier, but there's still artistry behind it. So one of the things that you know we just recently did, it's not been technically released yet. It's going to be this Friday, February 10th. We're releasing um, a pair of seltzers. Yes. Uh, yeah, they're called Pink Tax and Blue Tax. And I'll get into what that's all about in a second. But just yeah. in making these, um, I we brewed the you know the sugar boil <laughs> for this. We we did that at least a month and a half ago. And a lot of the time that's been spent has been me kind of dialing in the flavor, getting it right, because I didn't want to put something out there that wasn't up to the same quality standard of everything else that we do. And uh, this is a painkiller cocktail inspired seltzer. So hitting that flavor, it's like you got a benchmark with the flavor. People know what a painkiller is. They want it to taste like that. For, so, for those who don't. Yes. Yes. It is. Um, it's a cocktail usually done with uh, rum. In fact, I think it's uh, trademarked. Uh, you can only call it a painkiller if you use a certain type of rum, which the name of it is failing me now, but I'm sure somebody on the internet will know. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's a rum, pineapple, uh, nutmeg, uh, coconut, and I feel like I'm missing something. Oh, oh, and like uh, some kind of uh, citrus, like orange. Uh, we use tangerine in our case. So with the seltzers that we made, it was uh, getting the coconut dialed in right. Um, and then trying to get a little of that mouthfeel because that cocktail has like a creamy mouthfeel. So uh, figuring that out, <laughs> we basically, we added a little bit of rum flavoring. I did a combination of some things with coconut, but like basically that was flavoring that I did. And then all the fruit is, uh, is from purees. So we have pineapple and tangerine puree, and then we added nutmeg as well. And um, I'm really, really happy with how it turned out, but it took a lot of work. And so, you know, part of it is because it's new to me, I'm sure, but we, we're not going to, what I don't want to do is just make a hard seltzer and then throw some flavor in it and call it a day. And that's it, you know? Yeah. So from the approach that we're taking is, is treating it just like, you know, everything else that we do, but on the upside, the, the quote brew process of it is, is non-existent. It's like a two hour <laughs> situation, which, you know, my staff loves that, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So it's, is, it, uh, yeah. is it difficult, though, in the world of White Claw for smaller producers such as yourself to compete? Because people are expecting, you know, if you take the Florida Vice equation out of it um, and you're just talking about, OK, this is that, you know, dextrosy, saccharine kind of, you know, fake flavor, natural flavor, whatever kind of thing. Um, and then you're doing something that is, that has some artistry behind it. Is it a tough sell to the everyday hard seltzer drinkers or are the drinkers of your seltzers also just coming from the craft world where they want something that isn't bland sugar water? Yeah. Uh, I think that it's with what we're doing, it's more the craft drinkers in, enjoying a seltzer versus the seltzer drinkers you know, coming over just for the seltzer, but you know, that's obviously a generalization. I think where the competition aspect or the, the challenge with it is, is format can format for one, you know, for whatever reason, the can format is this slim 12 ounce, you know, 
And that's what everybody does, like the Trulies and the White Claws of the world. And, and so people expect seltzers in that size and in that way. Well, I'm not set up to do that. And I don't want yeah. to buy a whole can line just to make, you know, 12 ounce slim cans work for me. So we have to put them in a 16 ounce can like we do everything else. I mean, we could do a short eight ounce stubby, but I feel like people would be like, what? <laughs> they would yes. really be confused by that. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll do it. You know, never say never. Uh, those little cans are so cute, by the way. But uh, I, I like the stubby cans. I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, uh, so yeah, I think from a format perspective and then just, you know, pricing. So when we're adding real fruit to this, that ups the price significantly. You know, it's, it's a whole different ball game than, you know, taking 11 bags of dextrose, a little bit of yeast, and then throwing in, you know, $5 worth of flavoring stuff and, you know, selling it for six, $8 a can. We're putting a really expensive stuff into this as well to kind of keep it at the level of everything else that we do. So that also can be a little bit prohibitive. And yeah, I think it's just kind of the expectations for, for formatting the places that want it or that it works for is also kind of different. So I think we're still figuring it out. You know, it's still pretty new. Let's talk about pink tax, blue tax. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> this was a little idea that I had. Now we did, um, we had a collaboration lined up with the pink boots society. And while I think probably most of your listeners would know who that yep. is, who they are, but, but you know, it's to help, uh, it's a group that helps women and non-binary individuals, uh, kind of gain access and a safe space into the beer world. And, um, and, and actually not just beer now they're doing all fermented beverages. So it can be, you know, anything from distilling to wine, to ciders, to beer. And, uh, and it's a place where people can have educational experiences. Like we just hosted a off flavors thing at uh, seventh sun on Friday and, uh, but also networking and just letting, you know, like, Hey, you know, what experiences have you had? And that kind of thing. It's just a, it's a great, it's a really important and great group. Um, and, uh, we're really excited to be a part of it. And I think that the Florida chapter has, has done a lot of work as well to really grow it. So they do collaborations and a bunch of women brewers will show up and we'll, we'll make a product together. And then the, some of the proceeds will, will go back to pink boots. Um, they do also, I will say, uh, offer people scholarships and things like that for, to go get educated in, in some beer related field as well. So, so that's part of what that money goes to. Um, but so what, my idea was I was <laughs> watching TikTok and I saw, I kind of heard about pink tax. I was like, I knew it was something related to women's products, but I didn't really know what it was. And I saw a video on it and it honestly, it pissed me off. I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, seriously, they're, they're basically what, what it is, is the practice of charging more for products that are marketed, you know, traditionally towards women. And so the one really good example uh, that I think a lot of people are actually kind of aware of are razors. It's yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's one of the, like the men's razors are typically cheaper. I read somewhere that um, in the past, it's been like 66% more expensive for a pink women's razor over a man's, you know, blue, green, steel, whatever kind of razor, which yeah. is crazy. 
it's you know yeah you you're not because also who cares about the color of it as long as it doesn't it, hurt you yeah exactly it's performing the same function it is shaving hair you know yes. so why should it cost more there's not like nothing about it c- took more money to make it and that's just one example i mean that's the same thing with hair care products skin care products clothing i mean you know you have like a v-neck women's shirt typically costs five or ten dollars sometimes more from the people who are selling it to the print companies, you know, and then, and then it comes to us and it's more expensive to us. So, you know, and you're using less fabric, but it's like, (laughs) that's crazy. That's the most expensive part of clothing is the fabric. Right. And other than putting it together, but it's not more complicated for a women's shirt versus a man. But anyways, uh, so I was like, we need to bring more attention to this. And I think this collaboration is the perfect opportunity to do it, ties in really well. So I said, why do we make a product where they're the exact same thing, but they're different colors? And so not only are the cans different colors, but the product is two different colors. So I have pink tax, which is pink, and I have blue tax, which is blue, and they both taste like a painkiller inspired hard seltzer. And uh, and then we're (laughs) taking it one step further, and we're charging extra for the blue tax. And then essentially 100% of that extra money plus proceeds from both of them are going to go to pink or to the pink boot society. So if you you buy the blue tax because you want to give more money to pink boots and there was a little confusion we we launched some things online and people were like, "Oh no, does that mean if I'm a man you're going to charge me more?" No, 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 no. No, no, no. <laughs> the blue tax costs more. So you have a full choice to pay more if you want or don't. But uh, it's been crazy in the number of people I've talked to, especially women, they've never heard of this. They've never heard of pink tax. And like, you know, I want to get this information out so that we can start. yeah. Yeah, we can start to, you know, maybe boycott products that are more expensive. And um, hopefully it'll start to create some real change. Uh, That would be the end goal. But people can don't know to change it if they aren't, aren't even aware of its existence. So yeah. that's really our goal for this is to bring awareness to this issue. Hopefully we get it changed. And in the meantime, we're donating to a really good cause that is the Pink Boot Society. What, what, what's interesting, and I, I've known about this. My, my wife has told me about this in the past, and um, I, I've been hopefully appropriately outraged by it, but um, (laughs) I have a young daughter now and Mm -hmm. it is amazing how early that happens. Yeah. And how, you know, we were, we were buying her scooter um, a couple of months ago. And, you know, if you wanted, you know, the blue one or the black one or the, you know, Hunter green colored one, it was, it was a certain price. If you wanted the pink or the purple or, you know, the combination of, of both, it was slightly higher, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, so I, I have been like actively like choosing um, uh, some of the neutral colors. And, you know, I don't know if my daughter's noticed or cares. She just wants to ride a scooter and everything. But <laughs> I, I think, you know, the, the, the earliest that you can, start recognizing this and then you know shaming the companies that are yeah profiting off of I, I I don't even know why they're trying to profit off of it. I don't I don't know enough about it in, in that respect. Yeah, because they I, can. I, yeah. Yeah. Um 
and it just it just kind of pisses me off. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. I, I I hadn't thought about the whole you know t-shirt merch thing as well. Um, but you've seen that in and around. Oh yeah. Well, like, I mean, mer- we, merch purchasing. Yeah. So when we buy, and we actually made a change because you know typically we we build our pricing based off of we want to make X profit off of each individual thing. So when I'm buying like a women's tank top uh, to get printed with Seventh Sun, you know, logo on it or whatever, and women's tank top or a V-neck or whatever, they cost me more money uh, right off the top. Just the base T-shirt costs more money. Then the printer prints the thing on it. That's all the same price. But then when it's getting shipped to me, all of the women's stuff costs more money. So we were just like saying, okay, well, those are $25 instead of $20, you know, and not even really thinking twice about it. But we're we're done with that. We're just going to average it out over the others. We're going to make everything the same price and just average it out because that's our way of trying to mitigate this issue. Um, yeah, it's it's really annoying. I, I just wish that from the from the onset that it was not priced higher to begin with, but it is. Is this a conversation yeah. that you've had with the suppliers at all yet? Because I know you know there's a certain handful of uh, companies that you know, try to work in and around the beer space. Um, ha- have you had any of those conversations yet? No, actually, and it's a it's a good idea to do so. Uh, I, in fact, you know, so I use uh, my my t shirt guys are I use Go West a lot. They're out in Fort Collins, and like they, you know it's not even them doing it. It's kind of like they're doing what we were doing where it's like they come to them more expensive. So they're going to charge us more and then we would charge the customer more. So, I mean, I'm, I, I think I'll definitely bring it up with them, but at the same time, they're kind of in a hard spot too. They would have to go to then next level or, um, American apparel or whoever, uh, Gildan and say, Hey, why are you guys charging more for these women cut shirts? And right. like it's it's so like kind of systemic. It like just it it floats through, uh, but it starts at the actual t-shirt manufacturing place, really. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, That's yeah. Shitty. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really frustrating. So I think doing things like what you just explained, you know, for your daughter you made a conscious decision to not buy the one that costs more because it's pink or purple. So the more that that happens, you know, the only thing that really seems to get attention around here is, is money. You know, that's the way you can, you can vote with your wallet as they say. So, you know, buying something that isn't an increased price because it's marketed with a, a girl in mind over a boy is, is one of the ways that you can fight back on this. And then, you know, also just letting more people know so that they can also do that and it just creates a chain reaction. Are, are you planning on making this a regular offering so that it's continuously highlighted or is this a, a seasonal plan or you'll see how this goes the first time around? At this point, the plan is just to do it as a one-off in part because it's a collaboration, but also, you know, it's a, it was not easy to make having to split it out to do the two different colors and all that kind of stuff was, uh, was challenging. Not to say if people, like I said earlier with the graffiti orange, if people are like, we want that painkiller hard seltzer, do it, you know, then we'll do it. Um, but you know, 
kind of, I'm sure what's in your mind is, yeah, if we have it all the time, then it's just constantly in people's faces, which I hadn't really, hadn't really occurred to me until just now when you asked that. So. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I know you, you mentioned it's coming out uh, mid-February, uh, which is in and around when we're talking right now. Um, still going to be available, you think, for beer week? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we we made a bunch. So uh, I expect we'll have it around for a couple months. So it'll definitely be there for beer week. Uh, so if you come down for that, you'll get to try it. Uh, I did a little sneak peek of it at a recent beer festival I was at, got really good feedback. So um, people are digging it so far that have gotten to try it behind the scenes before it's released on Friday. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I dig it. Um, I'm glad you all are doing this. I think it's uh it's a it's a good conversation to be having. It's not an easy conversation to be having, but um yeah. you've also never shied away from having those hard conversations. So it's uh um I'm glad you're doing it. Um I've been asking folks on the show for quite a while now the green door question. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, for the sake of folks who are new to the show, I'm going to say it anyway. So uh, towards the beginning of the pandemic, my wife and I started rewatching the TV show, The Good Place. And in the fourth season, the final season, they introduced the concept of a green door where you can walk through it and be um, anywhere doing whatever you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so if we had a green door on our plane of existence and this conversation ended and you could walk through it and be at any pub or brewery anywhere in the world, mm. where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Oh boy. That's a big one. Um, oh goodness. There's so many great places that I've been over the years. I want to make sure that I'm, I, I will tell you this. The very first thing that popped into my head was Russian rivers um, tasting room in uh, Santa Rosa. Okay. Uh, not the new it, one. The, the, the OG. Yeah. The OG. It was to me, they have, they, they're who I wanted to be. They were my idol. You know, it's like, that's, I wanted to do IPAs and I wanted to do barrel aged sours to the, the high level that they were doing it at or still, and still are doing it at. Um, so when I got to go to that pub and have their big beer board where it's like half of the board is is sours and the other half are IPAs and literally every single beer is out of this world amazing like you really don't get better than that so I'm gonna go with that one because that's exactly what popped in my head first and then um I think that also answers the question about the beers that I would be having it would be yeah every sour I can get my hands on and every <laughs> IPA I can get my hands on um, not to say I don't, I'm also a fan of a really well done Czech Pilsner beer. Uh, love those, but, um, but that would be my happy place. And then who I would be with, um, hmm, that's, that's the hardest part of all, I think, uh, everybody that, you know, that would want to be like a lot of my staff, like my staff is who's coming to mind. So that's awesome. yeah, it would be really cool to be able to have our whole crew there. And to be able to drink those beers and be like, yeah, you know, this is, this was a lot of the inspiration for Seventh Son. And while we may have evolved and changed, it's still a part of who we are. And those are the people I would like to share that moment with. I love They're it. Who got me here today. So yeah. That's a really cool answer. Well, Thanks for doing question. this. 
Yeah. <laughs> thanks for thanks for taking the time. Thanks. Congratulations on the new seltzer and uh, good you. luck with with beer week and um, hope to see you in person soon. To it's been a, a good couple of years. Yeah, definitely. I would I would love to see you. It's been too long. So thank you so much for having me on the show. Have you come across a beer or beverage that seeks to highlight a good cause? Let me know by emailing. My email is John Hall. It's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and you can read about great new content as well as all of our archives going back to 1979. Follow All About Beer on social media at All About Beer. And if you're interested in supporting good journalism in the beer space, you can email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or simply go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Don't forget, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. You can search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>